I'm so glad we had this time together Just to have a laugh or sing a song Seems we just get started And before you know it Comes the time we have to say so long. Hello and welcome to Broadway Radios. This week on Broadway for Sunday, October 31st, 2021. My name is James Marino and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. What kind of uh, scary Halloween <laughs> Broadway themed shows can you think of? It was a show called Halloween that was supposed to open at the Martin Beck of the 70s. Um, <clears throat> Mitch Lee was uh, one of the writers, and, uh, well, it didn't quite happen. So uh, that uh, that comes to mind. Of course, there's a song on Halloween from Applause, um, which Penny Fuller uh, does beautifully on the original cast album. So that's good, too. Um, but one can think of Meet Me in St. Louis, and um, there's a Halloween uh, a tree grows in Brooklyn has something with Halloween as well. So off the top of my head, um, I'm, I'm forgetting a big, Oh, uh, there's one in um, a very good off Broadway show. The first show by Cryer and Ford um, called now is the time for all good men um, that deals with Halloween as well. So uh, I, it's going to be very interesting to see what's happening here tonight. I don't know about you guys, but last night there was a lot of commotion. Um, it seemed like uh, there was an honorary Halloween last night. Um, mm, Michael, yeah. what, did you have that experience? Well, I've been seeing people in costume in the neighborhood since like Thursday. So, people are having a great time at two thirty in the morning in front of my building. I'll tell you. Uh, so, <laughs> so we just call that a Tuesday. that's right (laughs) that other voice that you heard was michael portantier michael is a theater reviewer and essayist he's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com he's also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the new york times and other major publications you could see his photography work at followspotphoto.com hello michael hello are you dressing up for halloween no, no, I don't. I don't. It's always been one of my least favorite holidays. Me for the re- too. For the reason that Peter just. Yeah, made. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, uh, and then it's, it's only SantaCon is only uh, just around the corner. You know, it sure is. And I can't think of uh, any other songs offhand other than the ones Peter mentioned from shows. Although there is, uh, there's that wonderful song that opens um, uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas, the movie. Mm, yeah. Uh, uh, which that that would make a that might make a really good stage musical. I I always thought if you yeah. know if they get a really good costumer and makeup artist and and director and cast. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, know, and, and all of that. <laughs> That's yeah, all they need. A, a phone a phone book could uh, you know if you get the right people together, a phone book is great. <laughs> yes, you know. What's a phone book? What's okay. a phone book? There's the there's a there's an opening song. What's a yeah. phone book? There it is. So my favorite thing about uh, Halloween, uh, I, I, I've never really partook in Halloween uh, ever, and uh, but my favorite thing about Halloween is the Laura Benanti story. Do you know about this? Mm. <laughs> Keep talking. Uh, when she was a teenager growing up in northern New Jersey, she uh, dressed up as Fosca for Halloween. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's pretty scary. Yeah. <laughs> 
I might, you know, uh, oh, Rob Johnson's bringing up in the chat room that uh, Be More Chill uh, has a Halloween number. Oh. <laughs> so that's right, yeah. Be More Chill, you know, uh, proving the critics wrong over in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, doing really well. Uh, doing oh, is really it? Well I'm so office. glad yeah. to hear that. That's yeah. great. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, Laura Benanti as Fosca, I just, I, it, it brings mm-hmm. a smile to my face every time. I think about it. So, so funny. As a teenager, can you imagine, you know, mm-hmm. a musical theater, high school kid <laughs> dressing up as Fosca? That's and then great. years years later, she did it in Times Square, right? Oh, that uh, was it yes. for, for Broadway.com she did it or something? I, I, I think maybe, yeah. She was she dressed up as Fosca with the mole mm, and, and yeah. went walking around to like random tourists. And they were like, what is going on? <laughs> it was it was hilarious. Look that up. I'm sure it's still up there somewhere. <laughs> so the three of us have uh, gotten over to see the Lyceum shows, as they're being called. I'm not sure why, but okay. I mean, they're in the Lyceum Theater, but yeah, you know, I'm not sure why the overarching name. Anyway, so uh, Peter, Michael, and I saw Dana H. Uh, so Peter, why don't you get us started off on this? Well, um, I wonder. If indeed uh, the notice that it was closing affected Deirdre O'Connell's performance, because while when I saw her at the vineyard, she was 100 percent on the money. Um, This time, I would say she was 99 and 44, 100 percent on the money. Mm -hmm. What am I talking about? This is the strangest show you've ever seen. And you may say, why bother? But the point is. We're talking about a woman uh, who's been kidnapped uh, and she tells us her whole terrible story about being kidnapped by somebody she was trying to help. I mean, this is the ultimate story of uh, the good deed that um, never goes unpunished because she was trying to be nice to this guy and he wound up kidnapping her. And it was a terrible ordeal for months upon end. So there's a tape recording of her telling the story. And what you have is Deirdre O'Connell lip syncing to the story. So um, imagine the hours that went into learning this. I mean, that you have to have every little um, intonation, every little gesture, because occasionally she hits um, the side of the chair to emphasize the point, all that kind of stuff. Um, She wasn't quite, quite, quite uh, on the money um, as much this time that I saw it. And I think the closing may be the reason why. However, it is an astonishing feat. I mean, 99 and 44% is an A where I went to school. So, I mean, you still have to give her a tremendous, tremendous credit. But I was sitting very close, which brings up a good point. I mean, the Lyceum is a two balcony house. And uh, what is it like to be in the even in the first balcony, but the second balcony? I mean, you're essentially listening to a tape. I mean, you can't really see the achievement that Deirdre O'Connell has made in in doing every little uh, mouth gesture, every little timing bit. It's it's um, it, it would seem to be lost there. And I'm not surprised that it's closing under those circumstances, because much of the house can't see the miracle that it is. Um, but one still has to wonder, why didn't they have Deirdre O'Connell just do the script? Um, I, I cannot <laughs> a- imagine the answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> really? Tell me why. No, I cannot. I I have no idea. <clears throat> oh, I see. So, in other words, you agree? Yes, I agree a hundred percent. Oh, okay. All right. Um, yeah, I, it seemed very gimmicky. Gimmicky. Yeah. Uh, that that they had the tape and let's go with it from there. And of course, uh, 
uh, Lucas Snaith, who wrote the show, uh, and this is about his mother, Dana H. Um, uh, and he, you know, it's so maybe there isn't a uh, objective view there because he's so close to the project that mm. this that this gimmick seemed like it would uh, separate it. I don't know. Insofar as the third balcony, even the second balcony uh, type of thing, I, I think that. Uh, that I, I'm not sure that that really affected sales per se because it, the, the this this show got such great reviews, um, and uh, I've I've never heard anybody really complain about the second or third. Although it seems as though because this sh- this show and and uh, the partner show is this room are closing early, uh, it, it doesn't seem like many people would have experienced it from the second or third balcony as well. So, Michael, what did you think about Dana H? Well, I, you know, it's so unusual in so many respects. First of all, uh, it says Dana H by Lucas Snape. Mm-hmm. Do we know that that's the correct pronunciation? You know, uh, we, we, we got a correct pronunciation on his name, and I always forget what it is. Uh, Jan Simpson interviewed Lucas on uh, Broadway Radio a few mm-hmm. years ago and got the, uh, the direct version. I but. think that is it, though. I looked it up and I couldn't find it, but uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Lucas, <laughs> um, uh, what, uh, you know, it says by Lucas Nath, uh, but it, it is literally the tape of the interview of his mother by someone else, uh, mm-hmm. a fellow named Steve Cosson. Uh, so uh, and it says adapted from interviews. It's not adapted from the interviews. It's the tape of the interviews. Um, well, so it's I, edited. Well, it's edited. That's, that, that, the that's tape what is edited. I think they mean. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, occasionally that's not, what, here. That's not it, what adapted means to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's one thing. Another interesting thing is I assumed um, that since the title is Dana H., that her last name was also Nate or Nat. But mm-hmm. no, it's Higginbotham. Um, uh-huh. So I don't know if that's was her her that was the man she married after you know I, I don't know the, the the details on that but that's just a little interesting thing um, I yeah Peter I'm with you I, I I cannot imagine why they decided to have her lip sync rather than uh, to have Deirdre O'Connell just speak the speak the lines herself uh, it is a an incredible feat as I think we all agree, uh, mm-hmm. but it's also in a class by itself. How would you even, I mean, I suppose you could give her a Tony award, even though she's not using her voice. Um, so that's not an issue so much, but it's just so separate from any other kind of performance um, that, uh, you know, that one sees, I, I was wishing that Marnie Nixon was still alive. Alone, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Maybe uh, we could ask Mr. Lucas. <laughs> His, it's Nath. I, uh, the New York Times has a uh, pronunciation on it's called oh, thank you. Nath, N A Y T. That's good because Mr. Lucas yeah. sounds like a hairdresser. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, uh, t- uh, to get to get into it more, did, did any of you have great difficulty understanding why she didn't escape when she had more than one opportunity to do so? She says at one point that she was so beaten down psychologically and physically Mm -hmm. that she didn't have the, uh, you know, the even the wherewithal to do that. But that didn't seem to apply to the first opportunity she had to escape. You mean at the bank? 
uh, where, yeah, where our cops. Well, no, no, the bank, because she is, she says with the bank that she that she threw herself on the mercy of the people there and they refused to help her. But then uh, was it right after that? She uh, uh, she's the, the this creep is driving her somewhere and and they get stopped and he separates them and uh, allows her to drive on by herself. Hmm. But she goes home and waits for him. You know, she could have gone. I mean, we, we learn later that she has a poisonous relationship with her parents. So uh, mm, presumably mm, they wouldn't even help her mm, from being kidnapped. Uh, mm. All right, fine. Well, but, you know, couldn't she have driven to New York uh, to her son? Uh, couldn't she have gone to anywhere else uh, but wait for him to come back and get her? I, I, I didn't I didn't understand that. And it was distracting me so much that. uh that I couldn't get into the rest of the play as much as I should have. Well, I, here is uh, a case of, at least for me, mm-hmm. here, here is a case of if this were fiction, we could say, why didn't she do this? But this is history that this really happened. And she oh, really, no, didn't, absolutely. She really didn't that- escape. So I, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> No, the, Michael's not quarreling with the no, fact no, that it, I, it, it, I, yeah. he's, he's wondering about the reality of it. Uh, not, sure. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> no, I was, but I see what you're saying too, James. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, it's really funny because if if this were fiction, we would have said, ah, oh, she would have gotten away. She could have done this. She could have done that. But, you know, it, and who knows what the, the human condition is. And Well, it sounds like a little bit of also, what's it called? Stockholm, Stockholm Syndrome. Syndrome. Yeah, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, oh, and uh, by the way, I after I, at the performance I saw afterwards, I went to Joe Allen and uh, Joe Iconis and his and Lauren Marcus were there, and we were talking. They had seen it that night too, and Joe said he thought it was absolutely edge of the seat because he said you're always waiting for her to mess up the lip syncing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he said, but she and she never does. But she's got the earpiece. She's listening to it, and and I was wondering, is she listening to it slightly ahead of? What we're hearing in the audience? Uh, well, no, I think that would be impossible. Uh, I think she just—they did have those little um, beeps occasionally, maybe. Yeah, yeah the the, I think that was the edits. Yeah, those are the edits, right? Mm-hmm. Well, but also that that would help her to uh, almost like a click track, and it would just like, well, uh, you know, so uh-huh. so two counts after the beat is when I have to start opening my mouth for the next word. Mm-hmm. Uh, but either way, I said to him, I, I said, "Well, Joe, I said I agree with you completely." I said, and I, I and I can only imagine that she's much better at it now than when she first started doing it. What was it? Two years ago <laughs> yeah, or something like that. Yeah, Cause this sure. is the third presentation in New York, right? I only know of the vineyard, but, um, Oh, okay. I think there was, mm-hmm. but I think they so, did it there twice. Uh, a question mm-hmm. for the two of you, if you know this, um, was this per- presented in rep at the vineyard as well? No, no, no. So, uh, who put these together? Do we know? I, I guess Dory Bernstein, she's the lead producer, I guess. I so, guess. Uh, and um, Matt Ross, by the way, is the first name at the top. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, I thought Dory was. Okay. Uh, oh, so, wait a minute. Oh, interesting. Dory is the first name at the top of Is This a Room? Aha. And Matt is the first <laughs> okay. name at the top of Dana H. Yeah, take turns. It's nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Matt Ross, uh, Broadway. Uh, Press producer agent. and press and press representative, yeah, the general press reps. Um, 
that represents so many different shows on Broadway. So uh, I, a seasoned Broadway, uh, uh, a seasoned Broadway uh, team that has brought these two shows to Broadway and put them in rep at the Lyceum Theater and also announced this week that this, these shows are closing earlier than expected, which is very interesting because these are very small shows, uh, very small shows and seemingly... Uh, 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 very low uh, running costs. Very low running costs. Yeah. I, 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 I hesitate to say easy to run because you never know what is <laughs> what looks easy can be incredibly hard. But that's right. Uh, it not so much reflective upon uh, this producing team, but uh, is this the canary in the coal mine for Broadway? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. What is happening at the uh, with the other Broadway shows, which may or may not have led the league to release some figures for sales tickets this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, what is your experience when seeing other shows, Peter and Michael? Uh, I-, I talked about chicken and biscuits when I went was empty, but you said was full when you went. Uh-huh. Um, uh, what are you seeing in other shows that you're seeing on or off Broadway? Uh, are the houses getting back to where they were or? Well, attendance doesn't mean very much uh, because we don't know who paid for what, uh, yes. mm-hmm. what cast member said, please come. I mean, we, we just don't know. So um, any theory is really kind of worthless. Uh, so um, but- I have not seen any any empty ish houses yet. But uh, but yes, I, uh, that point that Peter just made, I made before we started recording uh, both Dana H. And is this a room? The, the orchestra sections look packed to me when I saw them uh, this this past week, but I have no clue, you know, how much, how many comps there were or how many discounted yeah. tickets or whatever. Yeah, we have to remember to look up to the uh, mezzanines, balconies and things like that, because uh, full right. orchestras won't pay, for, won't pay the bills. They yeah. got to they got to fill the mezzes and the balconies as well to uh, make money on the shows and keep them running. But uh I, I I fear that what's happening with Dana H and is this room is a uh, not a good indicator for the rest of Broadway, but we'll we'll have to see about that. Uh, we've mentioned is is this room? Michael and I uh, actually Michael saw it this week. Um, uh, Peter and I have talked about it already. So Michael, what do you think about is this a room? Oh, I loved it, and it, yeah, it, I mean, one can see how uh, why in a way it's it's perfect to to kind of run these two shows in rep because they're both so unusual in one way or another. In this case, uh, you have actors using their own voices, but <laughs> they are, but they are uh, act performing verbatim the transcript of this, uh, what happened when these FBI guys came to confront this reality winner woman uh, about um, apparently uh, having having disseminated classified information um uh, and and the acting <laughs> is absolutely incredible um emily davis specka blackwell uh will cobbs and uh, pete simpson uh, i guess specka blackwell is the understudy 
No, no, no. Uh, no, Becca one, Black. She's on stage. She's the one who just walks redhead. around, doesn't say very much. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, really, uh, I, for, if there were a special award for being able to act a transcript in, in a way that makes it sound like you're actually saying those words and thinking of them for the first time, all of these people should get it. <laughs> um, that's what I thought. Uh, it really interesting story. I looked up a reality winner after uh, seeing this play and, and was reminded that, um, oh, here's an interesting thing. Uh, during, during the play, at various points, uh, I guess to indicate that the transcripts have been redacted, mm-hmm. what they do is there's mm-hmm. like a, a little sound, like a sort of a, what would you call it, a, a little chiming sound or something. And, and the stage will go completely black for about two seconds and then come back up again. Uh, like, for example, one of the angels will say to her something like, um, well, when, when was the first time that you spoke with? And then you hear boom and the, and the lights go down and then the lights come up again two, two or three seconds later. So I, uh, I mean, I thought that was very effective. But at the same time, I was saying to myself, well, why are they redacting it when, um, you know, we can look up what what it is that they're talking about because in the in the play itself as you're watching it they they never even say what the subject is um at which was um election fraud so uh they don't even say that uh, mm-hmm. but maybe it was redacted because they 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 mentioned specific people's names that's the only thing i can guess is that what you guys assume uh-huh i did in fact yeah yeah, yeah okay <laughs> all right so maybe that's why but it is very effective uh dramatically when they do that and as i said the acting is is amazing and uh oh oh and <laughs> i i'd like to give a tip of a hat to the house staff at the lyceum because i saw is this a room on tuesday and i forgot my hat and when i mm-hmm. went back on thursday for dana h they had it for me <laughs> oh nice so uh a few things i wanted to uh chat about here uh becca blackwell is a trans artist who prefers mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. uh and oh, okay. so Thank uh you. and uh, actually i had no idea yeah and becca is uh actually written a, written a play called they themselves and Schmerm, uh which is performing performed by becca and but it also brings up uh, a, a story this week that the Lortel Awards have announced uh, that they are going to have gender gender neutral categories. So it, it's interesting to me. So, what would happen on the Tony Awards if Becca were nominated? Uh, yeah. would, would uh, it's such a small part? I don't think we have to worry about yeah, that one. But, but that but said, it, in it the will happen. It, it will happen. Indeed, it could have happened with uh, Peppermint in uh, Head Over Heels, yeah. for that matter. I'm on the Lu- Lucille Lutel uh, nominating committee, one of 30. And um, uh, so that took me by surprise, I have to say. I'm not quarreling with it. I'm just saying it took me by surprise. But I've been wondering about this for years and saying to myself, I wonder if the actors are going to be at home with this, because after all, this lessens uh, right. your chance of hmm. winning an award by 50%. Um, I'm also going to wonder if there are going to be more nominees, um, just as the Oscars went from uh, five um, pictures uh, for Best Picture to more than five, <clears throat> sometimes as many as ten. So, <clears throat> will that happen? Uh, will we have more nominees uh, so that people at least can say 
um, that they were nominated for Lotel Awards, um, even though there will be one winner. So we'll see if this is the wave of the future. And we'll see. I want to see if Actors' Equity is going to weigh in on this. I, I read also that it that it has already happened with another awards um, for a film and TV, I believe, but I can't remember what one it is. Have you read about that? No, that doesn't ring a bell. They've also eliminated the gender categories, and uh, I'm not sure of the details. But yeah, I assume that they could keep the same number of nominees. Uh, I mean... The, the number that they would have if it was still two categories. So mm. there would be twice as many nominees for one award, which in, I guess, in one respect, it's good. It, it would mean that each award would be worth even more if someone wins over 20 people, <laughs> uh, you know, and then uh, those people could all still say they've been nominated. But yes, it, I don't see how they could do it without, a, without having the number of actual awards, unless they said, that there would be two awards in each category. That doesn't sound right. I know. I yeah. wonder if that's going to happen as well. That occurred to me as well. And um, it does save on statues. I mean, you know, it's good for the budget. I was joking with Matt Tamanini and uh, Grace and Ashley over on Today on Broadway about uh, about whether this would uh, shorten our award ceremonies. By, That's right. by half. That's right. yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, also, I, I thought, you know who the big losers in this whole uh, mix are? Ready? Uh, 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 men who are all, all of a sudden, they're like, every time Audra's nominated, they're like, now I'm not going to win. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you know, only women had to worry about that previously, but now men would be like, oh, Audra's on Broadway this year. I'm not sure I'm going to take this role. You know, you know and, 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 in a way, we, we've had plenty of gender neutral categories when you think about it. I mean, sets, lighting, costumes, sets, lighting, costume, direction, yeah, exactly. whatever. You know, I mean, oh, we have sure. a category, you know, aside from performances, every other one is uh, gender neutral. So I guess this is in keeping with that. That was uh, happening over on tw- on uh, Broadway Twitter uh, when when people are like, "Oh, is this uh, is this really going to uh, affect everything?" And we're like, uh, "We don't have uh, best female lighting designer, best male mm-hmm. lighting designer. Right, we have right. best lighting designer, so yeah. it'll be okay. We'll all live through this." Yes, we will. <laughs> it's crazy. Today's episode of This Week on Broadway is being brought to you by Today Ticks. I've gotten to see so many more shows than I normally would because of how quick and easy Today Ticks makes getting tickets. They have amazing prices for some of the best theater I've ever seen. Today Ticks is your one-stop shop for theater tickets with the best value on tickets to Broadway and beyond. Just download the app or visit todayticks.com to find a show that you want to see. Getting tickets is easier than ever. With the Today Ticks app, you can check out in 30 seconds and pick up your tickets with ease. I was hesitant to use Today Ticks because I was wondering, is this just another ticket reseller that's going to kill us with high ticket prices? But Today Ticks is not like that. Today Ticks has affordable Broadway shows for under $50. In today's episode, we talk about Dana H. We talk about Is This a Room? We talk about Carolina Change. We talk about Lackawanna Blues. Let me tell you about those shows on Today Ticks this week. Dana H. is $39. Is This a Room is $39. Carolina Change is $20. Lackawanna Blues is $30. This is Broadway, folks. You could see these outstanding shows for just a mere fraction of their price. And check out all the others on the Today Ticks app or website. 
Book your tickets months in advance or even day of if you're feeling spontaneous. TodayTix gives you access to exclusive pre-sales, limited-time offers, digital lottery programs to sold-out shows, and day-of discounted tickets. TodayTix isn't just for Broadway and London's West End. You could also find tickets in cities across the country and around the world, including Chicago, L.A., D.C., San Francisco, Sydney, and more. See the shows you've always wanted to see or discover something that you'll love just as much with TodayTix. Go to todaytix.com slash broadwayradio and use the promo code broadwayradio to get $10 off your first Today Ticks purchase. That's promo code broadwayradio at todaytix.com slash broadwayradio for $10 off your first ticket purchase. Remember, todaytix.com slash broadwayradio. I'd like to thank Today Ticks for sponsoring Broadway Radio. Peter, you got over to, is is it 54 below? Is Carolina change over? No, it's 54 above. 54, uh, no, 54 above. A studio, <laughs> that's very funny. Uh, studio 54 to see um, Carolina change, of course. It's mm-hmm. in the roundabout. So uh, the word on the street is uh, get your tickets immediately. Are you supporting that? This is such um, an well, it's a unique idea for a musical. We've never had anything quite like it. Uh, young Noah is always leaving change in his pockets when he leaves his pants to be cleaned. And Mrs. Gelman, who's his stepmother, um, is, decides to teach him a lesson. And she tells uh, their maid, Caroline, whom she calls Caroline. She doesn't quite know her name, uh, that she can keep any change she finds. Noah doesn't mind. Because he hero worships Caroline, the president of the United States, he actually calls her stronger than my dad. But Caroline sees herself quite differently. She's 39 years old. She's still a maid. And as so many of us have said now all our lives, I thought for sure by now that I'd be better off than this. It brings up the line, the wise, wise line in Cabaret, and you learn how to settle for what you get. Anyway. So Noah purposely leaves a few shekels for her in his pockets. Although Caroline tells both him and his stepmother that she doesn't want what she finds. There's a, there's an interesting little side thing too, that um, uh, Mrs. Gelman is all often offering Caroline leftover food. Um, Here, would you take this home? No, my kids don't like it. Yeah. That type of thing. And we really get the impression that, what's going on here is that white people are very generous to black people to a point to a point. Okay. So let's keep going. Um, But Caroline does take the money so she can give her three young children um, a little lag nap. I use that word because the show takes place in Louisiana. (laughs) Um, uh, This scene, by the way, is the first time into the musical an hour into the musical where we see her smile. She is very dour up until that point. Um, she can't dis- afford to dispense these little gifts very often because she only makes $30 a week. Now this is more telling if you know the musical Flora, the red menace, because in Flora, um, Flora gets a job at $30 a week and she's thrilled. However, it's the depression. <laughs> Not only is it the depression, but it is literally 30 years earlier to the almost to the day um, 
because Flora's in 33 and this show takes place in 1963. The assassination of President Kennedy, in fact, is um, more than just mentioned. So anyway, um, so what what Caroline wants is a completely different kind of change. The word change has a lot of meanings here, um, but she knows that life is going to be the same as yesterday and the same as tomorrow. Well, things really reach ahead when Noah inadvertently leaves in his pants the $20 bill that indeed his uh, grandfather gave him. Um, This Caroline will take. And when Noah realizes his mistake, he demands to have it back. She at first refuses, but she eventually gives in reluctantly. I mean, all this is a great metaphor to suggest, yes, the white privilege wants to accommodate blacks, but only to a point. And the blacks in the pre-civil right era often had to pass up opportunities because white people didn't want them to have them. So it's very, very, very smart in that way. And I'm not sure that I've ever seen a musical that has such a great metaphor. So Sharon D. Clark um, was very, very acclaimed in London for this and uh, very, very acclaimed. She will well acclaimed here, too. And um, yeah, she's terrific. And um, I, I did hear some people say that um, they thought she was better than Tanya Pinkins, uh, who did the original production uh, about 15 years ago. Um, I found them quite equal. Um, I will say that I was stunned by Gabriel Amoroso. Now, this is a young man uh, who plays Noah. And um, if you go, you may not see him. Um, I think there are three kids doing it. And um, I don't know about the other two, but um, if you come in and there's that little slip in the program saying Gabriel's doing it, I'd say you're very lucky. Um, one of those child performers who's there to work, not to show off, not to say, aren't I talented, but um, to do the job, which he does splendidly, splendidly indeed. So um, I also thought Cassie Levy as uh, the stepmother was excellent as well. Hmm. Um, and um <clears throat> But I also have to commend Samantha Williams as Emmy, the daughter. Now, uh, what happens here is that um, we do have rumblings of uh, an unhappy uh, daughter who represents the new black person who uh, soon will be able to enjoy more civil rights, but also is working in her own way to see that people get uh, civil rights, that her people get civil rights. Um, I thought she was tremendously effective. And this is the part that Anika Nani Rose played, which uh, was a nice stepping stone to success for her. So um, I also want to credit Tamika Lawrence, who I thought was wonderful as um, let's say a friend Um, it's more a case that these people, uh, Caroline and she meet at the bus stop most every day. And it's one of that, uh, that type of quote unquote friendship. Um, but here's a woman who's working to make her life better, which also indicates too, that, you know, you can take matters into your own hands that you, you may, you can make certain efforts to see that your life becomes better. And, um, she's very, very effective and real. And, um, so, so I think this is a fine, fine production. This is not a traditional musical in any way. The, um, there are not applause buttons. It takes a long, long time before people even have an opportunity to applaud. So it's more of an opera 
in many ways, and Janine Sori's music um, supports that. There, it doesn't. You don't really feel like you're hearing songs. You are hearing music, and it's fine music. Um, you may enjoy it more in the theater than you would as an original cast album. And Tony Kushner, uh, whose story I think this somewhat is, um, in, in, does a fine, fine job with the lyrics as well. So this is really quite an event. It's a very different type of musical. People are always saying, oh, we need new styles. We need new forms. This certainly fills the bill, and it's excellent. And uh, this is now the fourth time I've seen this show. Obviously not this production, but this show. And I always look forward to seeing it when it's offered. All right. So Carolina changed plane over at Studio 54 through January 9th, uh, 2022. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Peter, you also got over to the Freedman to see Lackawanna Blues. Uh, so tell us what you thought about this. Well, you know... <clears throat> Um, I'm going to talk about Twilight Los Angeles 1992, which is at the signature as well as Lackawanna Blues. Why? Because they have something in common in a very strange way. Now, when Twilight Los Angeles 1992 was first done, it was done by Anna DeVere Smith hmm. and Anna DeVere Smith played all the roles. She had interviewed a great number of people about this terrible incident that happened in 1992 when Rodney King, uh, a black man, was terribly beaten by police officers, as well as a situation where Reginald Denny, a, a white truck driver, um, was simply driving his truck and people just pulled him out and, and beat him horribly, too. So um, she did a great number of interviews. And um, somewhere around 20 odd years ago, she um, did it. Um, both here in New York and at the McCarter Theater in Princeton, and it was quite an evening. All right. Now, what Signature decided to do was have um, five, six people um, do the show and split it up. And when I went, I thought it was going to be better. I thought, you know, gee, now we're going to have uh, real people doing it. And while the actors are terrific, they are, they're, and, but they, they have to play um, about mm, five, six, seven, eight roles a piece uh, to represent everybody. Somehow it was less effective than watching Anna DeVere Smith do it. It's still a fine evening, but you, you really <laughs> miss the uh, wonderful skill that Anna DeVere Smith brought to it. Okay. Now, a few weeks ago, I watched the HBO movie of Lackawanna Blues because I knew I was going to be seeing it. Frankly, uh, I, I was canceled out twice because uh, Ruben Santiago Hudson, God love him, uh, hurt his back and it looked as if um, he might not even be able to continue. But um, he did come back and they've extended, which is really nice, too. But here's my point that now I was watching this HBO movie and I thought, whoa, you know, I mean, Lackawanna Blues isn't going to be nearly as effective with one guy playing the parts because here in the movie you have S.S. Patham Merkison and you have so many other wonderful actors and it really is a story that is um, a genuine screenplay and whoa is that <laughs> as good as it was Ruben Santiago Hudson was better doing it all by himself you know so uh, you never know about these things um, I was really very surprised uh, I never thought that uh, watching Ruben Santiago Hudson alone on the set well there's a guitar player too but essentially alone on that stage um, <clears throat> would be more effective than this movie that I adored uh, but it is. He is so magnificent in his body language. Um, he really creates characters just from body language. It's quite a story, too. It's such a phenomenal story about this woman down south known as Nanny. 
um, who really is a nanny to anybody who needs help, be those a uh, young kid, which she was to Ruben Santiago husband, uh, Hudson when his mother could not take care of him, um, to women who are beaten by their husbands who need refuge. And, um, and she is just terrific. She's a no-nonsense lady. There's a wonderful moment where... Um, <clears throat> Where a woman talks, uh, comes to her and says, um, they're driving me crazy because um, they want my rent. And um, I and she says, well, how long has it been since you've paid your rent? And she <laughs> says, four months. And um, she said, but they're not giving me a chance. And Nanny says, they've given you four chances. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so she's it's not just like if you come to me, you are <laughs> automatically innocent and um, I take your side. No, she's very fair about telling it like it is and um to watch ruben santiago husband put his arms in front of him um and just link them together right around his waist you know that that's when he's nanny but he does all these other characters splendidly as well so uh if hbo is offering you the movie make sure you watch it but if you get to the uh, Friedman Theater to see Ruben Santiago Hudson, you may even have a better experience, which was what I had and which surprised me tremendously. So I, I saw Lackawanna Blues this week as well, and uh, I, I was blown out of the water. I mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. could not believe just the amazing talent that Ruben Santiago Hudson has. Mm-hmm. And I think to myself, this is... This is somebody who said, uh, and this is my take on it. I don't know this to be true. I feel as though that this is somebody who said, uh, I'm not being uh, offered the roles that I need to explore my talents. Mm. And so I'm going to create something. Uh Uh And and this really just uh, sort of, uh, uh, you know, the same as um, uh, Lucas Nath is creating his own his own art and uh and somehow making it to a broadway stage uh ruben santiago hudson's uh lackawanna blues has made it to a broadway stage and i think broadway is so much better off for it that it has uh it has gotten there um uh, and uh i didn't know about the i don't didn't know about the movie so it was uh something i'm gonna have to check out so uh well, it helps in his case also that he is also a very talented director. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's billed as the director mm-hmm. of this too, but mm-hmm. he's also directed other things, several other things. So he's not just a great talent as an actor, but as a yeah. director as well. Yeah, uh, He uh, won the Tony Award for Best Feature Actor in a Play in Seven Guitars in 1996. He... Uh, won for a Drama Desk Award for Outstanding Director of a Play in Jitney in 2017. Mm. So uh, certainly this in- incredibly multi-talented individual and the harmonica. Usually when people pull out a harmonica, I kind of like go, oh, no. But he was very, very good. Oh, and you know, I, I feel like uh, uh, most people who pull out a harmonica are <laughs> – are kind of approximating and when you see somebody who is really talented at the harmonica that is really uh it, it's a treat and i hope that people uh get over get over to see this at uh manhattan theater club reminds me of that line from the movie of the sound of music do you remember no when uh the the baroness is visiting and and suddenly everybody in the house starts singing <laughs> 
you know, mm. and at one point she turns to Max and she says, why didn't you tell me? And he says, what? She says, to bring my harmonica. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel bad I didn't mention it. He is terrific on the harmonica. <laughs> Amazing achievement. So, uh, Michael. Yes. Uh, you got down uh, to 54 below, below mm-hmm. the uh, <laughs> Carol interchange. And did Marilyn May bring her harmonica? <laughs> no, but she, mm. she brought her great musicians, uh, her great trio led by Ted Firth in this case. And yes, she, she's in the midst of a triumphant uh, week-long engagement at 54 uh she ends tomorrow she has one more well today uh sunday the 31st and then uh tomorrow uh tomorrow evening monday uh so if you can possibly get in that would be great if not uh she will be at birdland on new year's eve uh and uh dates surrounding that so check their calendar if, if you can't get into this i uh I have seen her so often uh, over the past several years, but I think in terms of uh, of audience response, this was the best performance ah, I'd mm. ever seen. Every, every single person there was in the palm of her hand. She seemed um, even more energized than usual, if possible. Uh, she's incredible. She uh, usually uh, ends with, uh, sometimes begins with, but usually ends with it's today from Mame. Mm-hmm. And she has this thing she does where she does these little kicks um, at, at certain points during the song that the, that the drummer accents with rim, rim shots or cymbal crashes or whatever. Um, and sometimes she'll do like one or two of them, but I think on this occasion she did five or six. <laughs> mm-hmm. So she was really, obviously really, really feeling it. It was, it was a beautiful, beautiful performance. And um, uh, I, I might as well mention now that Marilyn was also part of the beautiful tribute celebration of life of Mike Renzi uh, that I attended on Sunday, the 24th at Birdland. Uh, Mike Renzi, uh, born April 28th, 1941, died September 28th, 2021, was an American composer, music director, pianist and jazz musician um he w- he was a musical director for peggy lee and mel torme for over 25 years uh he worked on sesame street as the music director for seasons 31 through 40 and led the mike renzi trio uh he had also throughout his career worked with lena horn um mel uh, i think i'm not mel torme tony bennett really basically all of the greats uh, maureen mcgovern more on that later. Uh, Nicholas King, uh, who was a, a fairly recent guest on our podcast, um, a wonderful singer, uh, he put together this tribute to Mike because he had been working with him uh, basically exclusively for for several years. And he obviously loved him dearly. And I know he was absolutely bereft when Mike died uh, on September 28th. Um, the the title of the um of the memorial or the celebration of life was no bad chords which apparently mm-hmm. was also mike's email address <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and uh so there were opening remarks then uh um ann hampton calloway was not there but she sent a beautiful poem called his hands 
all about the beauty of you know his, his hands uh, as he worked the keyboard and how expressive they were and and it really was just a, a gorgeous poem I, I think it was uh just a standalone poem not lyrics to a song but but if that's the case i, I think maybe she might want to try to set it to music because it was just lovely um then we had sandy stewart uh, sing and her son Bill Charlotte Charlotte play after you. Um, there was a uh, there were anecdotes by Rex Reed who apparently knew Mike really well. Uh, Rex did go on a little long, but um, the but but each of the each of the stories was was wonderful. So it was nice to have him. Um, Joyce Breach sang "I Like You, You're Nice." Will Friedwald spoke. Oh. Uh, Alan Bergman sent a, a taped message that that was played. Billy Stritch performed "When the World Was Young." Mm. Daryl Sherman uh, played and sang "Rhode Island is Famous for You," oh, great song. <laughs> which was perfect because uh, Mike was born in Providence, Rhode Island, and died mm. in Newport, Rhode Island. Oh. Um, uh, Russ, a fellow called Russ Kassoff, who I, I was unfamiliar with, uh, brilliant performance on the piano of Lady Be Good. Um, James Gavin spoke. Uh, Marilyn May sang Here's to Life, which was obviously extremely appropriate and very, very moving. Nicholas uh, King himself uh, sang pick yourself up and told again the story this was um mike had pushed him to do this very very um elaborate and difficult uh arrangement that that mike had worked up for mel torme years ago and when he first suggested it nick nicholas said oh i know that recording i can't do that (laughs) Uh, and mike pushed him to do it he said you absolutely can do it so he he learned it and it's a tour de force and he sang it and it was just beautiful. Um, uh, and then uh, the closing uh, piece of the, of the memorial was a, a, a tape of Mike himself playing the beautiful song. I remember you. So it was really one of the, one of the most moving, one of the best put together celebrations of life that I've, that I've ever seen uh, with Ted Firth um, uh, and Jay Lenart uh, and Ray Marchica, uh, just really, really great. All right. So, uh, last for this morning, uh, Peter saw a production of Brecht on Brecht from uh, Theater Breaking Through Barriers uh, over at Art New York. So, tell us about this. Well, um, Theater Breaking Through Barriers uh, was once uh, Theater for the Blind, and uh, they decided to expand and make sure the people who uh, have other disabilities um, would indeed be able to perform. And so um, they do mix um, people who um, don't have disabilities with people who do. And um, so uh, here we have a number of people who are tremendously talented, delivering um, little moments from Brecht and occasionally Brecht and Wilde because um, we do have a few songs here and there, Surabaya Johnny and Mac the Knife and a couple of others too. So um, it's a review that started off Broadway way back in the 60s. And this is not the first time this organization has done it. They did in 2002. And uh, they do it very, very well. Very well indeed. Um, You also get some tapes of, um, well, film actually, of uh, Brecht uh, when he was in front of the House on American 
uh, committee because um, he was called in. And there's a marvelous moment where uh, they say to him, uh, do you write revolutionary stuff? And he says, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I definitely write revolutionary <laughs> stuff. Um, I wrote so much stuff uh, against Hitler. Um, and that's a very good answer because, of course, <laughs> that's the revolutionary stuff we want him to write. You know, but he brings up the point that, you know, uh, revolution is in the eye of the beholder. So um, but um, I really have to give so much credit to this cast um, who are really is so committed to the material. Uh, Anita Hollander is really quite wonderful. She always is. I've seen her a million times and I'm glad every time she shows up. Um, I was also very, very impressed with Sean Phillips, um, who really uh, knows how to deliver a song and deliver a line. So, uh, but they're all wonderful. Um, Farida Parachi Ahmed, I thought was uh, very, very effective as well. But it's it's one of those shows where um, you get so involved in what people are saying that after a while you forget that uh, there's anything involving uh, any type of barrier um they do break through the barriers and they do wind up giving you quite a good time it's at um art new york space um which is on uh, 53rd street and 10th avenue um and uh i there's an enormous elevator to take uh, you up there and i am hope that elevator is quite full uh in the next few weeks uh, through november 20th um while um it, it deserves to be quite full of people um going up to um, the third floor i think it is to see this show so a uh, very comfortable space very nice space and um and they're certainly filling it quite well hmm. all right so that wraps it up for this morning before we get on to trivia and the musical moment i want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayradio.com there's a subscribe link that we each and every time we have a new episode of this week on broadway you can automatically download it to apple podcast view of course you don't have to listen to us on apple Podcasts. there's many ways to get us you can get us on spotify our heart radio tune in stitcher google play anywhere that you can listen to find our podcast you'll find broadway radio's offerings contact information for peter for michael and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com as well as links to some of the some of the things we've talked about today, including the correct pronunciation of Lucas Nath <laughs> from the New York Times in 2015. They've been telling us ever since, and I've been getting it wrong ever since. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia? Last week's question gave five songs which were said to be in some sort of order. I wondered their commonality mentioned, too. And um, the, that was that the songs all mentioned Oscar-winning actors and in the chronological orders of their wins. What do I mean? Putting on the Ritz from Young Frankenstein mentions Gary Cooper, who won for the 1941 film Sergeant York and the 1952 film High Noon. At the Fountain from Sweet Smell of Success mentions Brando, as in Marlon, um, who won for the 1954 film On the Waterfront. Opposites from Skyscraper mention Jewel Brinner, who won for the 1956 film The King and I. Give Them What They Want from Dirty Rotten Scoundrels mentions David Niven, Niven, who won for the 1958 film Separate Tables. And Masculinity from La Caja Fall mentions John Wayne, who won for the 1969 film True Grit. As for me, I'd like to thank the Academy for providing me <laughs> with both the questions and the answers. So <laughs> Julia Cream was the first to get it, followed by Paul Witte, Tony Janicki, Josh Israel, and Brigadood. This week's question what famous TV series of this century was later parodied as a stage musical and has the same name as a play 
that closed in previews on Broadway, despite being directed by one of the most famous names in Broadway history. Okay, if you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? Well, both our opening music and our closer this week uh, feature the wonderful Mike Renzi. Uh, the opener that you heard was Nicholas King uh, singing with Mike playing, I'm so glad we had this time together, uh, which so many of us love as and remember as the theme song for the Carol Burnett show. Uh, this is from the album called Act One, which Nicholas spoke about when we had him as a guest on our podcast a few months ago. And it's a beautiful performance. And also I thought the, obviously the sentiment was correct um, to memorialize Mike. And the closer, I, I, I have to talk about this for a little bit. The closer is Once Upon a Time, the uh, Charles Strauss and Lee Adams song that ended up in this show all American after apparently having been written uh, for a musical called what's the rush that had been done on long Island somewhere. Uh, thank you to Peter for reminding me of all that information. Peter, do you have any idea if um, when, when once upon a time was in that other show, if the music and lyrics were both intact? Um, I don't know that. All I know is, is I, I do have a program from, uh, the um, engagement and um, indeed there's a song once upon a time in there for all I know, it could be a completely different song, mm -hmm. but, um, but circumstantial evidence suggests that it was this, I think 1958 review. Uh, well, no, Lee Adams himself. When oh, he was admitted on our it. Podcast, okay. Yeah. When he was on our podcast, <laughs> he, he did say that. I just don't know if, if the lyrics, uh, you know, were adapted or, or, uh -huh. or changed. Anyway, um, it is one of the most beautiful, saddest songs ever written but gorgeous i i remember it, uh hearing it first on tony bennett's album i left my heart in san francisco uh w which was in my parents collection so i was probably about f seven five mm -hmm. when i first heard it and even then you know it's about lost love uh it's about an older person looking back on a, on a be beautiful love uh, affair that they had, uh, or more than an affair, you know, a relationship, uh, and and just kind of grieving that it can never never happen again. Uh, and so even at that age, I, I responded to it. Now, obviously, mm. I re respond to it a lot more. But it's <laughs> it's just a, an unbelievably beautiful song. And this recording is from an album uh, called "The Pleasure of His Company," which is Maureen McGovern singing with Mike playing and, and all the arrangements by Mike. And this album was produced by Maureen. It's on Sterling records. And I had forgotten that this is absolutely, you know, I, I'm <laughs> using all these superlatives. This is one of the best albums of its kind that I've ever heard in my life. I had forgotten how unbelievably beautiful it is. It's just um, piano and voice. And, uh, I, I think that's true. If not, it's just a very small combo. And um, it, it uh, you know, her voice, first of all, is one of the wonders of of the world and his playing and his arrangements, but also the, 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 the song stack. I mean, Lucky to Be Me, My Ship, 
the boy next door. Uh, there's a, a little melding of nobody's heart into just one of those things. Spring can really hang you up the most. Mm. Uh, the nearness of you. How are things in Glockamora? Call me irresponsible. Bring back my dreamer and and I'll be there. Just gorgeous, gorgeous songs, beautifully rendered. And a, a great, great tribute to Mike. Uh, and that is our closing musical moment. All right. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. boy with moonlight in his eyes Put his hand in mine And said he loved me so But that was once upon a time Very long ago Once upon a hill We sat beneath a willow tree Counting all the stars And waiting for the dawn But that was once upon a time Now the tree is gone How the breeze ruffled through his hair How we always laughed As though tomorrow wasn't there We were young And didn't have a care did it go Once upon a time Ours. How happy we were then, but so.